Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey everybody, welcome to our 50th episode. That is 50 episodes of the Coach Fury Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's actually 52 if you count the non-numbered bonus episodes. Uh, I have someone really special for this show. I always bring someone special, but this guy means the world to me. He's so much so that he's married Kim and I twice. And that is Matt Wilson. Matt and I used to train together at Mark Fisher Fitness. Matt is one of just the brightest, biggest hearted, most unique individuals I know. He's had a very lasting impression on me and how I view things. And I'm very excited for you to hear Matt and I speak. Before we get into our discussion, let's talk about a little things in the world of Fury. Come train with me. Small group training, personal training, and online coaching, all based out of the Gowanus area of Brooklyn, New York, at Fury Industries, aka the home of Fury. Uh, can I say Fury more? Can I speak of myself in the third person? Can Fury speak about himself in the third person? Fury thinks he can when Fury wants to. <laughs> Sorry about that. So come train with me here. If you want to go to some of the continuing education stuff I do, um, I have some courses coming up. In the States, I have September 16th, Original Strength Pressing Reset Workshop at MFF Bowery. Come and check that out. And then I've got DVRT Level 1 and Level 2 at MSC Strength in Weymouth, Mass. on September 22nd and 23rd. And then I'm actually going in October, November. I'm uh, going overseas to Japan and Taiwan. I can't believe I'm going to get to go to Taiwan for the first time for OS. Uh, thanks everybody involved in that stuff. Um, and then I'm coming back and I'm starting to build out the 2019 schedule, the one thing on the deck so far confirmed is the RKC kettlebell certification on uh, March 2nd and March 3rd at Momentum Fitness. So come and take a course with me, come and take a class with me, come and train online with me. You can find out about all of this stuff, including the podcast at coachfury.com. Before we get into the episode fully, uh, I do want to take a moment to really thank everybody that's listened all of the guests that have come on this show and spent taking their time to be on it. Um, my Patreon patrons, Julian Cardus, Brian McMaster, James Newman, Victor Reyes, thank you so much for supporting the show, um, not just by listening or rating, but actually by contributing financially. Uh, the mic that I'm speaking on right now, gentlemen, the four of you purchased this mic, so thank you so much. I think if you go back, you'll notice there's a quality uh, a better quality and sound now. So thank you so much. But even for those that have just either messaged me, texted me, emailed me, met me in person and said some kind words or they got something from the show or they laughed at something, they got to know somebody, it helped them get through a shitty commute. This show has been a very big surprise for me in terms of uh, how much I feel I'm personally learning and growing from it and talking with people and having some of my ideas questions questioned and... Um, keeping an open mind and learning to like listen, to really directly listen. So for all of the 50 guests that have been on here so far, more if you count the bonus episodes, uh, just thank you so much for being a part of it. And I'm very excited to keep this coming uh, every damn glorious Monday, right? Unless I'm traveling and then I get it up ahead of time uh, for you guys. So uh, everybody, thank you so much. I will say this. If you have, I have one request. Keep listening, two requests. Keep listening. And if you have listened to three or more episodes of this show, three or more, do me a favor and drop a rating, maybe a review at um, iTunes. I, I, 
it's not just for me to grow the podcast. I want the guests to hit more people. And the number of reviews and subscribers and ratings really does help whatever the magical land of algorithms are get the word out. So not so much for me, but so people can hear the guests that come on. Um, some of the people you might have heard of their names, I think a lot of them you probably haven't. I think they're all extremely worthy as coaches, as, as people to be heard. So anyway, that's it. Moving on, everybody. Our 50th episode with Matt Wilson. No, no, no confessions or anything. <laughs> what was that thing? True cab confessions? Right. <laughs> but yeah, it just flows wherever we want it to go. And I'm actually, uh, I, I don't know if the guests love it or not, but I'm actually trying to pre-plan uh, less and less. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> just to see where it goes. That's my, that's my preference. All right, cool. I figured you would be cool with that. Uh, and I don't think you're going to be surprised when I hit a couple of the topic points because it's going to okay. be stuff that um, – you would probably see coming. But okay. listeners, if you're not aware who I'm speaking to, and why would you? You don't see his face yet, or I guess you, you would because you read the title of the podcast when you click, so there's no surprise here. This man is a special man in many ways. He has married Kim and I not once but twice. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> and it is the one and only Matt Wilson, uh, Matt and I met at a, the first workshop I actually ever did for MFF, and then we got to work together for almost about three years um, at the Hell's Kitchen facility before I went to Bowery and then uh, went out full-time Fury on my own. Uh, Matt, a quick intro other than what I've just said to yourself. Uh, let, let the folks know because uh, there's many levels to Matt here. That is true. So let them, let them know a little bit about you. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see. Well, um, technically, my, my name is Matt Wilson, and I joined the Mark Fisher Fitness team uh, mostly because I was interested in uh, this absurd uh, theatrical experiment combining fitness with absurd theatrical experiments because I have a, a background in uh, science Technically, I have an undergraduate degree in biophysics from Vassar College, and I was pre-med, and I applied to medical school and clown college, but decided I'd rather be a clown doctor. So the intersection of science and theater is really important to me. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what led me to the fitness world, can, per se. Can you, can you explain what a clown doctor is, though? Because I think it, on one end, it sounds jokey, but what you sure. did is actually, like, uh, uh, amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's a weird thing, right? A uh, clown doctor, it could mean a lot of different things. You could either be a clown who is a doctor or a doctor for clowns. And uh, <laughs> I didn't I was even not... think of the other one. <laughs> yeah, I was neither. I was a clown who pretended to be a doctor, working with the first professional hospital clowning program in the United States, the Big Apple Circus Clown Care Program. Uh, I basically worked with a partner, uh, as a clown pretending to be a doctor in the major research hospitals in New York City, uh, working primarily with pediatric patients, their families, and the staff. Um, yeah. Uh, amazing. Um, Matt, I've mentioned this to Matt, but I want to share this. So 
you know, I didn't feel like I was an honest fit for MFF, like a, a, a surefire fit for MFF when I got brought on. So, Which is funny because I thought he was a total natural fit for MFF. <laughs> well, if you looked at it, it was, uh, you know, on the surface, again, I'm coming from a martial arts gym with a pretty heavy background, uh, especially in the kettlebell world. Uh, pretty serious tone, uh, like uh, still a legit, great, improving, constantly improving fight team. And I wanted to do something completely sort of different. Some of the people I were training were either ninjas at MFF and Jen Frankel, now Jen Bullock, was a, a former coach. And I was helping her out. And she's like, you have to meet Mark. And Mark originally was talking to me about a job. And I was interested, but I, I, he, he could tell I wasn't. I don't know if that's when maybe, I don't know if that's when maybe Harold got hired. Um, it was somewhere around the time I think that Harold or Liz got hired, maybe East Days. And then... I really just wanted to do workshops. So I got to do this get up workshop. Anyway, they, they interviewed me. I got the job and you know, I have a film background, but not a theater. Exactly. No, but that's the thing. That's what I was going to bring up. That was, that was, that was the connection there. Yeah. Um, it was also like coming to MFF. It's very much like, you know, it, it is a very, uh, gay friendly gym and there's a lot of gray areas where you don't know out the gate. And I think I came in as like pretty obvious straight dude. And I just felt a little, uh, I guess reverse underdog in a way. And, and just cause I just didn't know, like I was like the first time I'm dealing with lights, the first time I'm dealing with music, the first time I'm dealing with the timer for classes other than my own control of a gym boss. There was just a lot. And sure, I remember, a lot of, a lot of production value. <laughs> I remember actually my first class, uh, one of the ninjas sort of reversed bullied me in a friend and like in a men in intention ways, but it was like, do you know who uh, Liza Minnelli is? <laughs> And I was like, yes, I know who Liza Minnelli is. I've seen Arthur in Arrested Development, even though I haven't seen her on Broadway. And they're like, ah, and they got in. And it was great. Six months later, I go for my first, like, how's it going check-in. And the question Mark and Keeler asked were, if you could clone one member of, of MFF, who would it be? And it was this man, Matt Wilson. Folks, um, you know, I don't want to take credit away from anybody else at MFF, but with the hashtag serious fitness and ridiculous humans, Matt is in my heart, my belief, the pioneer of a, he has the serious fitness background. I don't want to take that away, but the ridiculous human part, not just in a wearing a stupid outfit, not just trying to make a silly post, but in like legitimately exploring where play, where the setting, what impact that has emotionally and physically on a person in a room. So I'm just going to throw this out here. As more and more times you're seeing unicorns at other gyms and <laughs> I throw around glory a lot. Um, but when you're seeing that type of shit, you're seeing like goofy leggings and stuff. Um, it's not that Matt invented it, but I think Matt really pioneered and clearly with Mark and the crew. But like if, if, if you were there, at least in the wonderful window that I was, um, you would see that like Matt is just on another level and going for something else. So where did that start? for you in terms of you started at MFF as, as a member, right. In terms of trying to like really dive into the play aspect and how sure. that impacted not only the psyche, but also the results of the ninjas. Oh, that's a great question. And some of my favorite stuff to theorize. Uh, well, so it's funny. So you mentioned like the costumes and the leggings and what some people know, or maybe not is I really don't like costumes. This is another wonderful fact. Yeah, I really don't. Um, so one thing that attracted me to MFF as a ninja, as a performing artist who wanted to take care of myself uh, and get in the best shape possible for my life and my career, 
uh, is I knew that they knew their science. And this is before there was a clubhouse, right? Like, so before there was a clubhouse. Oh, uh, I didn't realize this was when it was still renting space. Oh yeah, totally. So it's like, I got on the snatched email list before there was a clubhouse because you knew if you did musical theater in New York city and you wanted to get in shape, the place to do it was with Mark Fisher. But I was, uh, always, you know, I was usually on the road or doing shows. I was out of town. Um, and so I, you know, couldn't do snatched. Uh, and then actually my wife, Steph, she worked out at the clubhouse before I did when, uh, the clubhouse first opened, which I guess was 2011. That sounds about right. I feel like I started in 2014 and I feel like that was like year three or four. Yeah. So she was at the clubhouse first. She says like, Matt, you're going to love it. Uh, because they wear costumes. And that was actually uh, a deal breaker for me because <laughs> I wanted to go to a gym and like, you know, really get to know the, the fitness side of things. Like I take that really seriously and um, I, I, I don't want to mess around with the costumes. I do costumes like as a, for a living and for a way of life and not costumes, but wardrobe, right? So well, I, I walk through the door after Steph's been working out there and, and, and when I see what they're wearing, I'm like, oh, they're not wearing costumes. Because in my opinion, a costume can be something you hide behind. Mm-hmm. But, uh, words I don't really enjoy are words like wacky. Um, because wacky implies out of the ordinary and, and it's, it's, um, it's short. It's, 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 anyone can be wacky. You can put on a wacky hat and it doesn't necessarily do anything. Um, but when, when I saw them, I'm like, oh, they're not wearing costumes as a gimmick they're, they're actually, they're, they're weird. They're, 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 they're a little crazy. You know, I'm like, okay, I get that. They're actually wearing an authentic expression of themselves as uh, external garbage or wardrobe or functional fitness apparel. I'm like, okay, great. So I can actually talk to these people uh, because the thing that I've often found when it comes to people wearing costumes is most people aren't actually comfortable wearing costumes. You get what I'm saying? It's like, totally, it's totally true. It's um, even before MFF, like the costume thing was interesting, right? So if, if one of the things when they were interviewing me, they were like, "What would your character be?" And I don't know how to answer that because, uh, you know, I, I'm me. Like I'm into this weird, random shit. I'm got a good pop culture head, at least of '80s, '90s pop culture. Um, well, and what's funny about that is even attempting to artic- articulate the notion of what is your character from an onboarding process, like. I didn't go through that. So yeah. I, knew, I don't even know how I would answer that because that's not even my approach. It, it, so it was very much like, oh, you could be the 80s skateboarder guy who skateboards yeah. in. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is like <laughs> be the guy who like skateboards in and shows up for class. Yeah. So, but, you know, in any of the jobs I've had, you know, whenever Halloween came around, I was like, I would take Halloween pretty fucking seriously. No, that's like, the thing. I always I took like Halloween stuff. seriously. Yeah. Well, it's funny because as a kid, um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't do, and this is no, I want to be clear. This is never any judgment on like store-bought anything, store-bought costumes. Uh, and it's not judgment on people who like to wear costumes or even use the word costumes. But as a kid, I rarely did store-bought costumes. We typically made them. And it wasn't just about putting on a costume. <laughs> it was about imbuing uh, a, a performance with character as you go around from house to house. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that's just always something I've been taking seriously without knowing how to articulate it. But it's like, what is my story? Why am I wearing this? And I don't want people to recognize me. See, I come from a different one when like, uh, I think my favorite costume I ever did is I would try to be very authentic to what it is. Yes, absolutely. So like, uh, I made a Snake Eyes costume from G.I. Joe 
where I literally went out and I bought a bunch of military gear. I spray painted mm -hmm. what I needed black. I got the fake guns. I spray painted as much as I could. Black. I, I tried to make it look as close to like a real life as opposed to like uh, a fake one, right? So Tuts. it was funny. I was just at a, at a, my friend Omel was in town and he had a party and somebody remembered me going to his paintball birthday party with that snake eyes costume. They were like, I, I, the first time I met you, you pulled out this costume and I was like, holy shit, this guy must be like a paintball king. And I'm like, no, I just happen to have this like functional snake eyes outfit. And it like, left an impression, right? Like that's the, the thing. You put the effort into a garment and you imbue it with character or story and it resonates. It's fashion. Like that is important and impactful. But it, but it has to be like something that you are driven or want to have, right? Versus it being like a career, a, a, a job criteria. Absolutely. Well, and so I want to talk about costumes a little bit, and then I really want to talk about play because, yeah. uh, so as you know, I just finished um, a graduate degree in performance studies, and so I'm actually taking a very um, critical approach to play and, and, and working on critiquing play and how it's applied just because play is ubiquitous and a lot of people would like to tap into it, um, but, but more on that later. But as far as the costume component thing, um, where were we going with that? I think just in terms of like, how did you decide to pursue it? Like in oh, terms yeah, of sure. like, because you do take this, you know, you, you took it into a deeper, more expansive realm. Like some of your outfits were A, clearly uncomfortable, B, oh, like sure. Absolutely. really time well spent. And yeah. you commit to them yeah. like nobody's business. Cool. Well, thanks for noticing that. I'd say it's twofold. A, I took what uh, Mark and Kyle and BPM uh, started with like when it was just the three of them in the space, they would wear, I mean, honestly, I remember as a ninja, the tube socks, um, short shorts. And, and it was kind of, um, kind of this eighties, what I interpreted as like, a, a, a reconstituted eighties aerobics aesthetic. And so because I knew what they did and I liked that approach, I, my, my, I take that and then I just amp it up, right? Like I magnify that, I amplify it. And they gave me permission to experiment and explore. And I think that's the thing that most people don't necessarily recognize is you can't actually just find an article or find a costume and see what happens. You have to try it out and see how it impacts the people you're working with and see does it come alive in the space, right? So it needs to make you happy and you need to enjoy it. But then what is it doing to the people around you? How is it serving? If, if we're talking specifically to Mark uh, Fisher Fitness, MFF, yeah. how does it facilitate a fitness class experience? Um, my background, I mean, I, have a, I was a strolling or street performer um, in theme parks. Um, so I logged thousands of, of hours um, entertaining strangers, attracting people to a street show in the heat, the humidity of Virginia theme park when they wanted to go to a roller coaster. <laughs> so, so I cut my teeth figuring out, okay, how do I make this space come alive based on what I'm wearing, based on how I'm interacting with these people. And then when it comes to the clown work in the hospital clown work. So it's like when you're in a hospital, <laughs> um, you, you got to understand the space intimately and understand what people are doing in that space and figure out how can I initiate contact communication and um, uh, assess consent, right? Through what I'm wearing, right? Through eye contact. Like it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a means of communicating and it's a means of establishing 
uh, a conversation and a dialogue and permission and, and play all at the same time. Like, and, and the thing is, is it, it, it requires um, just lots and lots of constant practice and experimentation. And I think I really appreciate that's what you saw me do at MFF a lot is I would put something together that I thought I liked and I'd try it. And I put something together and I'd, you know, if I liked it, I'd try it. But I, I wasn't the person who made the final decision. The people that made the final decision were the ninjas. Yeah. I would go off of what is their response. If they're taking pictures, if they want to take pictures with me, if they want to try their own version of it on, like, then we're in a conversation and a dialogue. Because it's not about being a show pony, right? It's yeah. about what are you wearing? What's the space? What's the music? What's the class? We're still teachers. We're still educators. So all this stuff should be facilitating that experience. It's a really tricky line too, because and you and I, I don't know if you remember it. We had a talk in, in the womb about that where, so the odd thing, listeners, is, is I ended up as the guy I don't think anybody thought would dress up as I ended up actually dressing up pretty often. Like I, I would say in terms of actually like pretty consistently wearing stuff. And maybe it's just because I hated the fucking purple shirts. Maybe it's just because I got comfortable, but you know, there's sometimes when you put on an outfit and you like, you feel it, right? Like you just feel good in it, you know? And then it's that, it's awkward, it's that awkward step though of like walking up the stairs to go in front oh, of absolutely. the room. Like, How is this going to go? And then yep. can I teach in it and shit? You know, it's so like yes. when, I wear, when I wear a kilt and somebody be like, oh, you're not really wearing a kilt because you're not wearing underwear. I'm like, I'm about to do glue bridges. You don't need to see my asshole or my tank, right? Like, and so that's a little uncomfortable just even having to feel that stuff sometimes. Sure. Um, and but then I remember for a while when I started, there was this whole thing about tattoos and tiaras, mm-hmm. tattoos, tutus and tiaras. And I, I'm just, you know, like, I don't feel like a tiara slash tutu guy. Like that isn't my version of silly. That feels for me to put that on would be wacky. And then I feel like shit if I'm just trying to do that. Right. Like Absolutely. I might put on Marcho, uh, Mar- uh, Groucho Marx glasses yeah. and a fucking stupid, you know, whatever. Like I just, for me, that never hit and it kept coming up. And, and for like the first year, not that it was like people were like browbeating me and it wasn't staff. It just kept coming up like Fury, when you're going to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I already have the tattoos in the real and I just don't feel this. It's not because I'm afraid of looking silly because I'll wear weird shit. Just not my kind of silly. And I've had some outfits where I'm like, this is awesome. And then I go in front of the room. I'm like, this just died. <laughs> like, I'm never going to do this again. Yep, absolutely. But it was always done like, a, a, again, a little bit of as an experiment. But for you, I really enjoyed it, right? So I would be filling out like part of like this area that I could not express otherwise. I wasn't really necessarily looking to build a character. I was just looking to like break down the wall of looking like the biggest convict at MFF. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, so that was a fun thing to do. And (laughs) the funny thing is it's come up here, you know, now that I train at home, I don't get to take that stuff out so much because if I have somebody trying to class for the first time, um, you know, you're coming up into my living room. If I'm suddenly in like tights or short shorts or some whack, like you're going to feel stranger danger. So totally you, you hit on something huge here, right? Which is, you know, MFF cultivated this expectation based on the space of surprise, of the ridiculous, right? Again, when you're in a personal home space, you're cultivating a totally different expectation. It's like a thousand times more intimate right out the gate, whether they love it or hate it. You have to expect it. Like any one of these is the first date picking up in the car. Like you just never know how that's going to go. Absolutely. Well, and that brings up this, you know, this huge thing about consent. I mean, that's why I really value my time in the hospital uh, working, that is, is because... 
you know, a hospital, if, if you're working in, a, in a, a cancer facility where they're, you know, treating uh, uh, pediatric patients with cancer, uh, it doesn't get much more life or death stakes, right? And so then how do you cultivate uh, an aesthetically, a highly uh, aesthetic, uh, high quality experience that uh, contributes to, um, uh, I, I hate to say like the, the uh, healing experience because I think healing gets thrown around a lot, both in the fitness world and outside of it. I think um, within your, your capacity there though, I think it's safe to say healing experience. Uh, I, I think we try to empower ourselves as trainers to like kind of, I mean, I think it is powerful and I love what we do, but when you're in a classroom trying to get somebody to like lose some weight or lift some weight, versus yeah. actually being in a hospital with that type of situation. Yeah. Like you could be talking about someone pulling through or you could be talking about somebody's final hours being a little brighter. Oh, absolutely. And so you, you take that into consideration. And I guess what I, I cultivated was this notion of attunement, right? Like attuned to the environment, attuned to the people around the environment and attuned to what kind of wardrobe selections, prop selections, material selections... Um, will 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 play will fly in that environment. Oh, like for example. Hmm? No, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, like one of my favorite examples is um, a clown is a complicated word. I don't really like using it um, because it means so many different things and it has so much different cultural baggage depending on where you're coming from. Uh, so, for me, in in this particular instance, the clown is this European clown, very subtle makeup, maybe a red nose a white doctor's coat, and an eccentric ensemble underneath it, right? Like, I'm wearing red polyester pants and a, 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 a red polo shirt and a black clip-on tie or, um, or plaid pants. You know, but something that still looks like you belong in the hospital, but mm -hmm. it's not um, grotesque and is not alienating. That's the thing. You can't be alienating. It has to be inviting. Everything has to be an invitation, let me ask you this. I don't, I don't yeah. mean to cut you off. You can't sure. be alienating. Can, can you do that and not be authentic about it? Is that possible to actually pull that off? Say that one more time. Can, 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 you can't be alienating about it, but can you be inauthentic and actually pull that off? You have to. Be, I would imagine you have to be. You know what? So has to be in that. I have to say, like, certain words, uh, I think, are complicated, and I think authenticity is one of them. Okay. Uh, I think uh, the word authentic gets thrown around a lot, I, particularly... I'm going to get really dorky and geeky here. Please, please. Like 21st century America, entrepreneurial culture, fitness industry, the, the, the term authentic, I've seen it, you know, within the last 10 years, uh, it's a selling point. How, you know, how to be your authentic self. And so I like to trouble and challenge what that even means. What is authenticity? Just because it's often so often used to sell something. Let's, and so for... Hmm? What if we reword it as with the right purpose, like approaching that with the right purpose? Sure. I would say, well, I mean, well, here's the deal. You can, you can love, you can, you can express what you would consider to be your authentic self and absolutely be alienating. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's true. That, and that's why it's a constant conversation dialogue. Um, you know, that's why you've got the best dressed, worst dressed fashion list. It's like you can be totally happy wearing... Um, a tuxedo, but if it's a beach party, uh, maybe that serves you. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> That's very you, true. You know what I mean? Um, no. 
What is, uh, in, in terms of costumes at MFF, what would have been your favorite costume? Mm. Do you have a favorite? I'd say one that got, I mean, I always enjoyed wearing my blue unitard, my blue unitard, because the thing about the blue unitard is that we used it in an early video, and, and the, the persona came from uh, one of our earliest retreats. It was Frank. So you've got this multiple levels of, of, of aesthetic and story within this, this creature, this Frank wearing the blue unitard, but also a blue unitard shows off your physique so it facilitates um, education within a classroom setting. Plus, people really respond to it. I don't mean to cut you off. Let me, let me, yeah. just, so folks, like, it's, if, if you've ever seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the green man, think about it as a blue man. Like, he's completely covered in a blue suit. Well, and also, you hit on something here, too. Like, once um, something becomes ubiquitous, like, anyone can get, what, what do they call those suits with the hoods? Like, the full body green suits or blue suits? I, I, think, I, it's say just a, I think it's just a body suit now. Body suit, yeah. So it's like, I call them a, a unitard because it's, you know, it's a dance yeah. uh, outfit. But the thing is, I think one of the challenges with this notion of production value, whether it's in a fitness setting, is anyone can do it anywhere. So what does it mean and what is it doing, right? Like, I, uh, I think that there are other, you know, you'll, it's, it's really not that weird to see someone in a blue unitard. You know, you see the green unitard on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And so anything that you're wearing and anything that you're doing has the potential to have whatever cultural baggage is behind it. I had a Deadpool one for that Halloween yes. party that you guys threw. And yes. then I went to zip up the back and I blew the zipper out. And I didn't go to that Halloween party because I was emotionally destroyed that I fucked up my Deadpool. Guy. Of course. Of <laughs> course. Right? Exactly. Everything is baggage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one I think would be a classic. And then I think on the grand one was, I think you had originally made it for Burning Man, that one with all the lights and the big wings. Oh, with my pharaoh costume. My gosh, yeah. that thing was glorious. I was proud of that. That was, that was my first time experimenting with, um, was it IL, IL wire? LED? L- yeah. Uh, I, I, was, I, uh, I, I think it was IL wire. It was magnificent. Yeah. And people responded to that. I was proud of that. And people liked that too. Thank you. Because that, that elevated beyond any s- sort of thought of ridiculous. Like that was grand. I mean, it was silly in some ways, ridiculous in some ways, but it was grand. And that was, I think that's an impact. And that's like, what I like about your approach to doing that was, and, the, and your push to us to try to do that. Because Matt, Matt would actually, would often come up, if some of us struggled with costumes or outfits, uh, Matt would help us talk us through a little bit of that like psychological barrier. And I think for me, I hit a weird wall when we got the shirts, right? When we got... Oh, we, sure. When, when Dude, I started, we didn't you have... You and like, me both. Yeah, we, we didn't have like official MFF shirts. And then we got these purple shirts. And I'm not going to lie, I just never felt... I love, I love purple. It's actually my favorite color. But I never felt like I looked good in any of the shirts and any of the cuts that we've ever had for that. And I was already wearing outfits most of the time. And a part of me in my head was like, well, I'm supposed to be the dirtbag heavy metal skate punk. Wouldn't, they, wouldn't I be wearing those shirts anyway? That, like, would I, that would be my thing. But it was also, I think, deemed too true to my character of me who I am to be considered an outfit because I wear those dirtbaggy skate punk shirts outside anyway, right? So I remember I felt like I hit some resistance of like in, internal resistance of like, you know, we want you guys to wear costumes more. We got to push this, you know, ridiculous uh, humans thing. But then I'm like, I'm being forced to wear a purple shirt and I understand it now. But like at the time... I, 
it was weird how being forced to do one on the normal side created an internal barrier for me to explore on the creative side. Oh, sure. Well, it's funny. I think it's so interesting. Something I found really fascinating was how much emphasis the notion of, of costume, just that seems to be what, what, what I hear a lot about, not necessarily from within the team, but also outside, just the notion of costumes, that they were costumes. And again, it's a layered multi, it's a multi-level storytelling uh, fitness uh, experience. I mean, from my perspective and something that I always hoped to teach had more to do with the pedagogy of, okay, what are these garments doing? But that's also, what are the lights doing? What is the music doing? How, how are you creating a narrative through the workout? Um, I, but also it's not a, the thing is too, it's not a show. It's not a performance. You know, I've, I've heard some people, um, some trainers, not necessarily at MFF, but this, this notion of when you're a, a fitness trainer, it's your show. And coming from my perspective, considering, you know, I've been a professional performing artist for <laughs> over two decades. Um, I don't know. I'm more interested in social theatrical experiments and, and, and so that, that means that it's, it's not really about me. I'm a catalyst. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you're trying to, you know, create something with, the, with all of the different elements in the room of which what you're wearing is one. But it's also an important one, but it's not the only one. And you also can't live or die by that one thing, you know? It, it is a fantastic thing when you have the right outfit put together, the right headspace that you're in and the right track, the right music's hitting and, and you can, you break down, you know, for me, the outfits, however I want to define an outfit, right? Costume, whatever. It, it, it was to break down a wall between who I am and who we are together in this room. Right? Like, if oh, I can, oh, absolutely. Like, no, you hit, yes. It's yes, totally. You want so to break like, down the wall. Absolutely. Disrupt but it's, I, I don't want to just break, dynamic. I don't want to just break down the wall. I want to build a new room around us all. Right? Absolutely. So all in the room and not in our own individual cubicles within the room, AKA mat space. Right? So absolutely. suddenly this thing has become more than the 15 mats or however many mats on the floor. See, and now we're getting into liberation educational pedagogy where we're literally trying to disrupt power structures through education. And in order to do that, you got to understand, okay, well, what's your role uh, as a fitness instructor? You know, what's that power dynamic? And then how are you able to disrupt that and recreate the educational space every single time? That's the hard part, right? The replicating it. Because sometimes you have that kill, you just insane killer class. Yeah, and then just, you got to... And then you try, away. you put that playlist on like the next yep. day and you're like, oh, it's just dead. Nope, or exactly. You, come in like, you know, you come in in the greatest of headspaces and you're like, this is going to be the most fun awesome class. I'm going to coach the shit out of it. And then just, you know what, like the dynamic of the room is they're not projecting that back at you and yeah. you just hit walls. And, it's just, and that's why it's, yeah. and that's why it's a constant dialogue. It's a, and that's one thing I really appreciated about MFF is um, they, they allowed me, they gave me the space to really uh, experiment and, 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 and enter into a conversation on a daily basis, on a per class basis with every group. I, th I think how, however they were, and I'm sure it's like, you know, clearly it was like Mark and, the, and, you know, Kyle and BPM at the beginning, but also the musical theater background sets an openness for a lot that in a traditional gym environment, you probably wouldn't get to pull off as, as so, openly. You know, so something, so after grad school, something I've been thinking a lot about, or one of the reasons I went to grad school really had to do with analyzing 
what do we create within social spaces? What do social spaces do? Um, and, and the thing is, and, 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 and when you get into like power dynamics and you know, this notion of fascism and totalitarianism and how it's reproduced in institutional settings, whether it's a school setting, whether it's a prison setting, whether it's a gym space setting, um, it's, it's up to us to figure out how, 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 to, how to break that down and what are we reproducing with the hierarchy uh, within the industry and, 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 and as someone with fitness knowledge, you know what I mean? In, in my opinion, as educators, uh, if you, it's all about figuring out, okay, well, what is the setting? What is the space? Who are the people? What are the needs, right? And, and, and really figuring out, so then what does fly in that space? Because I think a lot of things are taken as default. You know, we're looking at, let's see, if we consider popular fitness in America is primarily a early 20th century, you know, it really kind of started early 20th century, right? So what are we still holding on to, right? Like mm -hmm. so much of that is just, oh, it's a gym and so it looks like this and the class looks like this. And the fact is that's actually not true. So the cool thing is for any gym or any fitness instructor anywhere, each person has the wherewithal to create their educational space. And that is radical as fuck. Yeah. And, and it's one of the things I love about the stuff like kettlebells and sandbags and, and just body weight stuff in general is there's a freedom to orient the space in a non-traditional way yep. that like once you're in a semi-private training way and you have racks like and yep. barbells, like they dictate a specific, they totally dictate the space, here. but with, uh, with, with the other more mobile implements, you, you can have that flexibility to create an environment. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the cool things, and, and I tuned into this from you, is so at MFF, there's, there's several areas. There's, uh, if, we, if we look at Hell's Kitchen, there's the Dragon's Layer semi-private training. There's the Snatchery, where the Snatch program goes and workshops happen. Then there's the main upstairs classroom, and then there's the downstairs classroom. And one of the things I really picked up from you was we... I took like a string of circuit party classes with you that uh, were just the best, like the best classes I, I, I've taken while I was there and uh, had not only most of the dudes in their underwear, myself included, but, but some of the women in their underwear, uh, just like, and, and not in a pervy way, just in like, we're just working, having fun. We're going to get this on, right? Uh, Clown Fury Baby, right? We, yep. we, Pat and I had a baby, Clown Fury Baby. Clown Fury Baby. We took it to Coney Island one night. Yeah, it was a good um, day. So, but that room off of seeing how you used that room and facilitated the environment created, like I took steps on that in terms of like changing up my playlist, changing how I would approach classes down there. Um, certainly use of the lasers because it's a darker room, you know, especially with those colored lights and how to, how to use that to our advantage. Yeah. And I loved being down in the dungeon until I was suddenly, it felt like I was only down in there. <laughs> I yeah, like, I know how that goes. Like I was getting rickets or something, some scurvy. Right. Um, but that was something big I picked up from you and also your boldness and bravery to like, uh, you would play a certain playlist or have a certain warm up, and you would say like the same jokes sometimes and like watch them die and continue to do them boldly in that awkward moment. And I, I, I was like, that is like the bravest thing. And I loved you for it because, you know, I talked about this in the last part. Like, I, I spent like a year, my last year at Hell's Kitchen, I really played with being awkward. 
Like, how do I get comfortable not being able to say the right things? Uh, having the, the, the gym members, like having the ninjas, like just stare at each other. Okay, nice job on that set. Now stare at each other. Yeah. Now, awkwardly walk onto somebody else's mat, but don't acknowledge that you're there. Like just trying to get used to that like weird tension, right? Because yeah. it's just like strength training. If you get t- used to that type of tension, suddenly it's not, you get stronger at it. It's not Absolutely. So, so scary. And you were used to that with like your, your warm up song. Um, I'm thinking the Yogi Bear song. Yogi Bear song, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, was one of those facilitators too. So when you're breaking down the walls with the ninjas, I think for some of us, if not all of us, you were breaking down walls for us. Flip side of that, though, is I think you know there were certainly some trainers that were just not not really on the serious fit. Uh, sorry, ridiculous humans tip the same. You know, like leveraged more on the serious fitness, and some of us more. And I, I think I was probably like a little in the middle of all that, despite my background. Um, how did you feel that your, you impacted the rest of the team on that? Um, I, I, I don't know. I didn't get into a lot of conversations with people, meaning because I, I, I always delivered, right? And because I'd been there for so long, I think I had a lot of... Um, I was given it with a lot of leeway and a lot of space, but it was interesting. Not a lot of people I think were interested in engaging with me intellectually on what I was doing or why I was doing it. And so I think I might've confused some people. Um, meaning you bring up a really good point, like doing the same jokes and letting them die from a customer service standpoint or for like that can, that can be like, that can come across as, as a suicide or negative. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, no one's digging it. It's really awkward in here. But from my pedagogical standpoint, I'm learning a lot about the vibe of the room. Because if they've heard the same stuff before and they're still responding a certain way, then, oh, we can go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, like, if they're not doing it, if they're not into it, then they're like, okay, cool. So then let's figure out what are the buttons that, you know, that we're going to be pushing, that we're going to be playing with, that we're going to be experimenting with to come together. Um, and I didn't always get an opportunity to engage just because I think I took the, I took the serious fitness and the ridiculous human equally. Right. Uh, and I don't always think that it, sometimes it, it didn't come across how serious I took the fitness. You know what I mean? Uh, possibly. I think we all got, I, I think it's, uh, listeners, if you can hear how uh, Matt's vocabulary, how he comes across, right. Um, I've literally seen him, uh, <laughs> pop out naked from a balloon. Um, True. And, and yet you can hear like you're, you're a deep dude. And that's one of the reasons why I, I would clone you several times over. Um, that sounds fucked up though i mean that's that man that's the highest compliment anyone's uh, ever I given mean me that's the highest compliment um if every if every nation had one matt wilson we'd be in a better place but i i do think your serious fitness side came across i think you know some of our more serious fitness minded coaches like that came from a little bit more of a deeper background uh and not just a view of, of like some of the no ninja turn trainers probably perpetually elevated the serious fitness side as like having a, a different type of ownership. But I don't think anybody in a class would think otherwise. Um, well, you also, you raise a really good point, right? Like if your background is exercise science and serious fitness, like my background is in addition 
to the pre-medical studies and, and, and work as an EMT, it's also the theater side of things. So I can understand if you, don't, if you haven't logged the miles, if you haven't been on the boards, if you haven't been in the streets doing guerrilla theater or working in an institutional setting and creating theater in an institutional setting, then I'm a fucking whack job. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally foreign. And, and it's as possible to not really understand where the theory and where the pedagogy is coming from or that it even what it's actually doing. I think, um, I think at least at the time you came in, there was already a baseline. Oh, that, absolutely. I think that, like, they had been filling the kiddie pool for yeah. you to dive in. If that, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I really feel like, because um, as we sort of wrap up part one of this, and I don't want this to sound as a negative to MFF in any way. And I really don't mean it because it's still the greatest place on earth unless you live in South Brooklyn and then come train with me. Um, is, you know, so I went back to help out part-time uh, towards the end of the last year. So I think it was like November through January. And every month I sort of like diminished my hours a little bit. And this is when Matt was on sabbatical going to school. And I got to tell you, like, it, it, it wasn't the same without you because the impact of what you your ownership of that level on top of the fitness and matt's been to courses with me so like matt is like legit fitness like whatever impact you brought and it's not just ridiculous there's a level of heart to it at least as somebody who had been removed and then came back into the setting your absence changed in my the way it affected me changed the the space so when you talk about whether it's an outfit, whether it's a song, whether it's a lighting, whether it's what the space dictates, your absence for me altered the space. But it was a weird thing. How do I explain this as like a compliment? You know when they say like a ghost, like, like a person leaves something like behind, like a, whatever they call it, an impression? I felt like you had left an impression, but it wasn't there anymore. Like you weren't there. Does that make sense? But here you are. Like, I don't want to sound so negative on it. But I think when someone comes in, and, 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 and I guess what I'm going to wrap this up on before, you know, whatever you want to follow up is, I think as a lot of places trying to do wacky outfits, specifically using the word wacky in your context there, to look fun, to look authentic, to look free, to look non-judgmental, to me all-inclusive – Versus like, is, is it, and for lack of a better word on my end, authentic, is it like inherent, right? Like, is it, is it what is pulling you into do this? What is the factor driving you to do it? Is it a money-making gimmick? Is it a marketing gimmick? Is it a social gimmick? Like, sure, it became a marketing element of MFF, but it was already there, right? Versus trying to make it. Oh, totally. Um, you know, whatever. Any thoughts on that? And then we'll, we'll wrap this up for part one. And you know, you're going to come back for part two. Oh, I, I love sequels. Three, maybe part four. We'll do a trilogy or something. We'll do a franchise. Mm-hmm. So Speaking any final- franchises, I just saw the latest Mission Impossible, Fallout. It's good? Oh, so good. I saw a sneak preview. And then there was a talk back with like the director, writer, producer. Ah, uh, incredible. Better than the last one. I didn't see the last one. I haven't yeah. seen a lot of them. So it's so good. I don't remember the name. I think it was the last one might've been rogue nation. I didn't love that one, but that one before that ghost protocol was awesome. Check. So he, he, I think uh, was a script doctor on that. And what's interesting, he describes working on the mission impossibles now, cause he's done the last two, the most recent one, the last one and the next one, it's literally devised theater. They don't have a script when they start, they start with locations and the kind of stunts that they want to do. Oh, it is fascinating. That's pretty classic action film, though. It's like build, 
build around your stunt pieces and then which is the right which is device theater yeah you know what i mean like and the fact is and it works so well it's so good it was epic you know, uh, you know, Scientology aside, Tom Cruise gets a lot of shit, but dude, he's fifty six, and, and he's, he's doing his own, his own Halo stunts. <laughs> he broke. They used the shot. I mean, I, I think it made it in the final cut where he broke his leg jumping from a building. He oh, literally snapped his leg, and they kept it in. Yeah, fifty six. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's uh, legit, dude. I gotta say goodbye. All right, man. <laughs> hey, really quickly, tell the people where they can find you. Oh man, so here's the deal. I'm really bad about that. I have an Instagram account uh, at I know Matt Wilson, and I enjoy that. But I'm, uh, I'm I'm currently very critical of social media practices, and 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 personally, I'm not even certain how I want to participate uh, or contribute when it comes to uh, that cycle. So at the moment, um, Instagram I know at I know Matt Wilson, but I'm also open to tips how to share whatever the fuck it is that I know and that I do. Uh, it's tricky. I know another friend of mine just bounced off of Facebook. Uh, there's so much shitty information out there now, uh, and so much hate, so much anger and frustration that, it, that it's a hard one. Um, so I think Instagram's fine right now on Instagram. Hey, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty, my friends. <laughs> All right, everyone, be sure to check out the next episode as well. Matt and I have barely scratched the surface here, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get him back on for episode 51. Thank you for being the 50th guest. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. An episode. Big thank you to the FTW for all the heavy metal music uh, for all of these episodes. Big thank you to Laura Palmer from Screaming Rebel Angels for being the new VO who came on, making the show sound even better and better. Uh, Big thank you, most importantly, uh, to Glenn Urieta in terms of the crew, because literally he has drawn 50 individual godzilla themed drawings for this show and of course for the listeners thank you so much uh we're just gonna keep this truck rolling i have not had really repeat guests we've had some two-parters but now that we've crossed 50 you're gonna start to hear some of the friends come back because it's literally been almost a year since we started this so well it'll be a year actually i think by the time it'll be almost exactly a year by the time this episode comes out so thank you everybody for supporting the show thank you for supporting me thank you for supporting all of the guests that have come on, thank you all of the guests that have come on over the last year. It's kicking off with Mark Fisher Fitness. And I have to thank Todd at Strength Faction, Todd Bumgardner. He made the blog about how to do this, and I did it. And we're at 50 episodes. And uh, still not a lot of listeners, but I'm still doing it. I'm going to go teach class. Uh, Matt, I love you. Love you too, dude. Say hi to your wife, Steph. I will. Give my best to Kim. All right. Later, brother. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.